If you are joining us online and you would like to come join us in person with your group, just let us know. Email elaine.montague at pcpc.org and she will get a room assignment for you and you can join us next week right here in the sanctuary at 7 a.m. and then be assigned a room that you can then break out at two afterwards. So if you're with us, I know we're kind of disjointed a little bit, not just because we're actually in person now, uh, but we took last week off for Holy Week. And so just to remind you what we're doing, we are working our way through the parables of Jesus. And hopefully by now you've kind of learned that to really understand the parables of Jesus, you really have to use your imagination. Uh, Jesus is asking us to imagine something, to imagine a scene, to imagine a story, to compare two different people. Each parable has its own way of trying to communicate the kingdom of God. And this morning, we have a parable that is both beautiful and also honestly very frightening. It's a deep warning to us about the return of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us and we'll dive right in. Father in heaven, we, um, we ask that you could do now in us what we cannot do for ourselves. That through the Holy Spirit whom you have sent to us, that you have opened our eyes open our ears, help us to see the good news of the gospel. Help us to see the kingdom in the way that your son Jesus wanted us to see. This morning we are reminded once again that at least one of the purposes of the parables was to be a litmus test, to really cause us to either further see the deepness and the grandeur of the kingdom or to expose the hardness of our hearts. And so this morning I pray for soft hearts. Whether we are uh, been wa walking with you for years as men, or we are just now exploring the deeper things of Christianity, I pray that you would soften our hearts for all of the men who are in the sanctuary this morning, for all the men who are joining online. Would you open our eyes and give us soft hearts as we see the kingdom of God in this parable in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, there's lots of amazing and honestly strange privileges of being a pastor. And most of those have to do with these moments that we are invited into. Some of the most intimate moments in life that we all experience pastors usually have this invitation into things like the birth of a child or um, a child coming to faith for the first time or death knocking on a door. There are days that we might go into a hospital and this has happened to me where we'll go from one hospital room and celebrate with joy the birth of a child with a family and then go to a different wing of the hospital and begin to pray with the family as they've learned that whatever illness their loved one has had is terminal. These deep, intimate moments that we all experience in life where I've heard recently, it seems like the kingdom of God and where we are here, that that separation is thin, a thin place where in those moments that are most deep and most meaningful, 
We're, we're kind of laid bare and we see what we have always seen as Christians, but we see it with new eyes. One of those places, one of those events, and it's honestly my favorite because it's very joyous, is a wedding. Now, I love weddings for lots of reasons. One of the reasons I love weddings is in our culture here in Dallas, Texas, there is still something about weddings that they typically happen in churches. Believe it or not, that doesn't happen all over the world. It certainly doesn't happen all over the United States, but here in Dallas, people still get married in churches, which means even if they're Christians or not a Christian, odds are they're going to come see somebody like me. And, and I can't tell you how often I've been able to meet with a couple who don't know Jesus Christ, but they've gotten engaged and they say, well, I guess we're supposed to talk to a pastor now. And they'll come find me, maybe because of a friend of a friend of a friend, and they'll say, well, we heard about this church and we're supposed to come talk to a pastor, right? We're supposed to get married. Will you marry us? And there's different ideas among pastors, even in the PCA, on how you might engage that question. But the truth is for any couple that comes into our office, we want them to be what's called equally yoked. Okay, what we mean by that is that they both believe the same thing. Now, of course, that would mean that they're both Christians. Every pastor would say yes to that. But there's a few of us that would also say yes to if they're both not Christians. And that includes me. I won't marry a non-Christian to a Christian, but I will marry two non-Christians on one condition, that they meet with me at least six times, and every time is going to be about the gospel, and that they agree to having a Christ-centered wedding. And here's why. Weddings are one of the greatest pictures of the gospel that exists. If you've ever been to a wedding here at PCPC, and it's fitting that we're in the sanctuary this morning, the wedding guests come and they sit in pews just like you're sitting now. And there's a bit of um, tradition that we go through in a wedding. And if you've been to weddings, you've been to one, you've basically, you know what to expect, right? They're basically all the same. Well, what's amazing is you're not going to find really the parts of a wedding in a Bible. And when I talk to a bride and groom, I always tell them that. And yet, every part of a wedding communicates something amazing about Jesus. Did you know that? In other words, as you go and sit through a wedding, maybe the next wedding that you go to, I want to challenge you to not just sit there and expect what you know to expect. Not just to kind of go through the motions of a wedding, but I want to challenge you to really begin to see what a wedding is trying to show you. So you've been to a wedding, there's a bridegroom right here, the groom. And in our sanctuary, he'd be standing about right here. There's going to be a pastor like me standing right next to him. Over on this side, you're going to have all the groomsmen and the best man right here. On this side, you're going to have all the bridesmaids and the maid of honor. And there's going to be a bunch of fanfare, right? There's going to be some music, uh, the seating of the family. They're going to be seated first. And then we have the processional. And down this aisle, all the bridesmaids are going to walk one by one. They're going to file their way and take their place. And then typically what's going to happen is the music is going to kind of hush. They close the doors in the back. Nathan or Jay Marty 
is going to play some kind of big build-up kind of music. And then all of a sudden, those doors open up and everybody stands. I do my best. The uh, mother of the bride's usually sitting right there. And I want her to stand first so she can see her daughter before anybody else. And then she's going to walk down the aisle. And she's dressed in white. And she comes down and she meets the bridegroom. And what I want you to know this morning, especially as men who might miss these things, is that every part of that points to Jesus. Every part. Every part. You see, because the Bible tells us that the great story of Jesus and his church is like a bridegroom and his bride. In the beginning of a wedding, I typically intro it like this. I say that you could say that the Bible is the story of a marriage. Not a marriage between a husband and wife, but a marriage between God and his people. And what you see throughout the prophets in the Old Testament is that the relationship between God and his people is described like a marriage. And we see the prophets say that God actually made a vow to us, a covenant, like a bridegroom would make a vow to his bride. What you also see in the prophets is that when the people of Israel sinned, it was described as cheating, committing adultery against God. That when we sin, it's not just that we're committing some act of immorality, but it's as if we are forsaking our marriage vows to God. We're breaking our covenant with him. And so the story of the Old Testament is the story of God making a promise to his people, saying, I'm going to vow to love you in the same way that a husband vows to love a wife. And yet the story of the Old Testament is that the bride, the people of God, forsake their marriage vows. They cheated on God. And every time they sinned, they, they turned to a different God and they committed adultery against him. That's the story of the Old Testament. But the, the story doesn't end there. Because we're told in the New Testament that there's a bridegroom to come. The bridegroom who would lay his life down for his bride. The bridegroom who would keep his vows and be faithful to his bride even when his bride was unfaithful to him. Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians tells us this bridegroom is Jesus Christ. That everything about marriage is actually just a picture of Christ in the church. And so it should not surprise us then that at least one of Jesus' parables is about a wedding. And that's the parable we're looking at today. Jesus is describing a wedding. And as festive and joyous and for women especially maybe romantic as a wedding can be, what I want you to see this morning is that this parable is a deep warning that we must be ready for the return of the bridegroom. Because just as the bridegroom came and laid his life down, the Bible also tells us that the bridegroom is coming again. And here's the question that I want you to begin to wrestle with this morning. Are you ready? The bridegroom is coming. Are you ready? 
this parable is in the middle of a, a section of the book of Matthew that has five parables back to back to back. Begins in Matthew 24 towards the end and goes through almost all the way through Matthew 25. This parable that we're looking at this morning is the middle of five parables, okay? It's the center. Every one of these parables is about the return of Jesus Christ, every one. The first is the parable of the thief. The thief is coming like a thief in the night. Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. The second, the parable of the disorderly servants. The third, what we're studying this morning, parable of the ten virgins, then the parable of the talents, and then the parable of the sheep and the goats. Every one of them has this central message. Jesus is coming again. The question that we have to wrestle with this morning is, are you ready? So I want us to look at this parable together. I want you to look at Matthew 25, verse 1. Rather than reading the whole thing, we're going to take it bit by bit. So this is the parable that Jesus has for us. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, again, as we study the parables of Jesus, we have to use our imaginations. I know a tall feat for some of you at any time of the day, but for all of us might take some work this early in the morning. Okay, so I want you just whatever you're doing, really focus in. That's what Jesus wants us to do. So first you need to imagine a bridegroom, right? Imagine a groom. There's a groom and we're told that there are 10 virgins who took their lamps to go meet him. Now, right out of the gate, you need to know a few things about ancient Near Eastern weddings. When Jesus says there were 10 virgins, that's synonymous with 10 bridesmaids. In other words, the picture here is not, here's 10 um, bachelorettes who are hopeful to be the bride to meet the bridegroom. That's not what's happening here. But a a virgin uh, in, in a wedding would be a bridesmaid. It would be friends of the bride, close friends of the bride that the bride has invited to come to the wedding, to come to the feast. And so Jesus is saying, look, here's 10 bridesmaids. They've been invited to the wedding. They've been invited to the feast and they've gone out to meet the bridegroom and they're carrying in their hand lamps, just like this one. The thing you have to know about a wedding in the ancient Near East is it typically happened at sunset, okay? When things got dark, that's when it started. And you think about most of our weddings today are about like that usually happen at maybe 6 or 7 p.m. And so because it was getting dark and because they didn't have electricity, the wedding party would often take with them lamps. And it was both functional, but you can imagine the pageantry, right? Imagine a line of bridesmaids, 10 of them, marching out to meet the bridegroom, each one of them carrying a lamp in their hand, just like this. Now, if you notice this lamp, you'll notice something about it. It's pretty small, right? And you can see that there's a little wick here at the end, and then it's made of clay, and in the middle you would put the oil. Now you can tell how much oil is that really gonna hold? Not a whole lot. And so you can burn this wick, but eventually, if you don't have extra oil to refill the lamp, 
eventually it's going to go out. And so anytime you go out of the house with a lamp like this, you have to ask a question. How long am I going to be out? How much extra oil do I need to bring with me? And that's exactly what's happening here. Verse 2. Jesus says, five of these bridesmaids were foolish, five are wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil in their lamps. So you have five bridesmaids, they're all invited to the wedding feast. Jesus tells us half of them are foolish and half of them are wise. Half of them are prepared, they're ready. They recognize that a lamp like this is small, and in order to be ready, they better bring extra oil. The other half, all they bring is their lamp. No extra oil, just the oil they have in it. They're not ready. Verse 5, here's the problem. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So, the wedding, let's say it's supposed to start at 7 p.m. Jesus doesn't tell us, but we know in those days it would be around dark. So the sun's starting to set. The wedding's supposed to start, and the bridegroom is delayed. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding where either the groom or the bride hadn't shown up yet. People get antsy when that happens. <laughs> the pastor gets antsy when that happens. And it can happen either one. Right? We're not going to just pick on the brides who are still getting ready. I know you want to go there in your mind, some of you. But it can happen with the grooms too. For lots of reasons. And usually those reasons are pretty benign. But because there's no way to really communicate things, people begin to fill in the blanks. We don't know the reason here. Again, it's a parable. It's a story. But Jesus says, for whatever reason, this bridegroom was delayed. He didn't show up to the wedding on time. Something has prevented him from coming. He hasn't come when everybody expected. And so what do the bridesmaids do? They get sleepy. The sun's gone down. There's not a lot of ambient light, right? Remember, this is the ancient Near East. They get drowsy as they wait for the bridegroom to come. Now, as we look at a parable, we have to be careful not to over-allegorize it. You know what I mean by that? An allegory is a story where every part symbolizes something else. And a lot of times when we approach the parables, our temptation is to treat a parable like an allegory. Um, a great example of an allegory would be something like Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read that. Every part of Pilgrim's Progress is supposed to point to something else, and John Bunyan actually tells you what it's supposed to point to. And, and so our, our temptation when we read something like a parable is we think, well, it's, we're supposed to do the same thing. And so every little detail must stand for something else. And for centuries, that's exactly what Christians have done with the parables of Jesus. But parables are different. They're not quite like allegories. They're more calling to, to amuse your imagination to imagine what this must have been like for the bridegroom to be delayed and what it must have been like for these bridesmaids. And to really imagine the story and to see a central point rather than every little detail pointing to something that you're making up in your head. Nevertheless, there are themes here that we need to pick up on. Themes like a wedding in the Bible. In this parable, we should recognize that the bridegroom is Jesus. 
Now, I don't think that's allegorizing the parable. I don't think that because that is the tradition that we see throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, this great picture of Jesus, the Messiah, being the bridegroom coming for his bride. Now, the bride is not mentioned in this parable, but we should know that the bride is the church. That's the people of God. Right? All those who are in Christ, his people who have professed their faith in Jesus, that's the bride. So who are the bridesmaids? Well, I imagine the bridesmaids are those whom the church has invited, where the call of the gospel has gone out. Right? These, these bridesmaids, I want you to see that this, this call of the gospel is universal. It goes out to all people. Every one of them is invited. All, all 10 of these bridesmaids are invited. They all have the same invitation, but they are receiving it differently. And only half of them are ready. And yet they all fall asleep. So here's my question for you this morning. And don't take this the wrong way because I'm sleepy too. But how sleepy are you spiritually? Because Jesus is wanting us to begin to, to see that he's coming again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? And the question that you have to wrestle with is, are you ready? Or are you, have you become sleepy? Have you, waiting for him, been kind of lulled into a spiritual slumber? Some of you have been walking with Jesus for years. You've been waiting for a long time. In those years, have you become sleepy? Others of you, you're just good at taking naps. And though you haven't been walking with Jesus for a long time, and maybe some of you haven't been walking with him at all, this world has lulled you to sleep. I'm reminded of the disciples who were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus prayed, literally sweating drops of blood, Father, if it would be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In anguish, praying, what are his disciples doing? Well, if you know the story, they're sleeping. In this great hour of need. Jesus praying before the Father that the cup of wrath would pass from him and his disciples are sleeping. How often, brothers, are we sleeping on the job? How often, brothers, do we sleep our way through this life, not realizing that we need to be awake, to be alert, because the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming Verse six, but at midnight. So think about, let's say the wedding is starting at seven. How long was the bridegroom delayed? <laughs> These bridesmaids have now fallen asleep and now it's midnight. And there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Brothers, one day there will be a cry from heaven. And that cry will say, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And my question for you is, do you really believe that? Are you living a life that is being lived in light of the reality 
that Jesus Christ is coming again? Or have you grown sleepy? The second thing I want you to see, I want you to know that not everybody is going to be ready for the bridegroom. Not everybody's going to be ready. And that is the warning of this parable. It's what makes this parable honestly so frightening. Ten bridesmaids, all of whom are invited to the wedding feast, and only half of them are ready. I want you to look at verse 7. We're told, then all of those virgins, all of those bridesmaids, they rose and they trimmed their lamps. So here's the wick. They would trim the end and they would light it. Verse 8, the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Verse 9, but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So here are the wise. The bridegroom has finally come. It's midnight. They are out of oil. So they ask the wise. They come to the wise. They come and they say, would you please let us have some of your oil? But there's not enough to go around. And so the wise tell the foolish, hey, go buy some more. So they go buy some more. Verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. This is the warning, because as surely as Jesus is coming again, he is coming again in judgment. He is coming as judge to rule over all things. And just as he is coming to make all things new and bring redemption to this world, he is also coming to rule over it, reign over it, and be judge over it. And the warning that we hear in verse 12 really should frighten us because I think that's what Jesus wants. Again, imagine the scene. Here are the bridesmaids. It's midnight. I mean, just think of a wedding. Imagine, we'll do it for men this morning, right? Imagine you're um, one of the groomsmen. And this is one of your best friends who's getting married. And imagine you're, the groomsman asked you to bring a specific thing. And like typical groomsmen, you forgot. You left it back at the hotel. And so the wedding's about to start. You know that it's going to start any moment, but you forgot this important thing. Let's say it's the wedding rings. And so you say, well, what am I going to do? I better go get it and just hope that I have enough time. And so you go back to the hotel, you get the wedding rings, and you come back and you find that the church doors are locked. You start banging on the doors. And then you see all the wedding guests leave and they go to the, the reception afterwards. They go to the feast. And so you go to the, where the reception is. You start banging on the reception doors and they're locked. And you're banging on the doors and you're feeling so much shame, such guilt that you've let your friend down. And all of a sudden you, you look through the window of the reception and you see your friend, the bridegroom, and you say, hey, let me in. I'm here. And he says, I don't know you. 
I don't know you. That's the warning that Jesus is giving us in this parable. It's very similar to the last of the five parables with the sheep and the goats. And what I want you to begin to understand is in the sheep and the goats, here were these people who said, look, I did all of these things. And Jesus said, yeah, but where were you when I was naked and needed clothing? Where were you when I was hungry and needed food? And at the end of the sheep and the goats, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Here in this parable, you've got five brides, bridesmaids, all of them the same. Every one have been invited. Every one of them has a lamp. And yet half of them don't have oil in it. And what I want you to see, brothers, it's possible to be holding a lamp with you that's supposed to do its job and can do its job for a little while. But if you don't actually have oil in it, then it's worthless. If you don't actually have a lamp to be lit for the feast of the bridegroom, then Jesus says, you're not ready and you can't come in. So again, for centuries, because this is pretty scary, theologians have tried to figure out what's the oil. What's the stand for? If Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, the bridesmaids of those who've been invited to the marriage feast, then what's the oil? And some would say, well, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, right? If you're going to light a lamp and have fire, you're going to need the Holy Spirit inside. Some would say, well, maybe it's good works. That's been suggested. Maybe it's Christian obedience. Maybe it's abiding in Christ. Maybe it's the word of God. Maybe it's prayer. Again, I don't think you can over-allegorize it because I, want, I think what Jesus is trying to say is I think it's all of it. That it's possible to look the part, to be invited, and yet not be ready. To have a lamp, to even be able to light the lamp, and yet deep down inside, there's no oil in it. And it's actually worthless. Jesus is giving us a warning this morning. Not everyone is going to be ready for the bridegroom to come. Are you ready? It's the last thing. Last thing I want you to see before we go to our tables. We must keep watch. Verse 13. Jesus then summarizes the parable this way. He gives this command. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now the word watch is a military term. The idea of keeping watch like a sentry at a post. He's saying keep watch. Right? Be alert. Be on the lookout. What are you supposed to be on the lookout for? For you do not know the day nor the hour. He's talking about his return. You do not know the day or the hour. The thing that the Bible has been the most clear on of the return of Jesus is that nobody knows when he is going to come again. That's why you know absolutely that if somebody tells you they know when Jesus is going to come back, they're wrong. And it's at least not that day. Jesus says you don't know the day or the hour. But you do know this. He's coming back. And so keep watch. Be alert. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? 
And maybe a question underneath that that I want, you, I want to leave you with as you go to your tables is if you're not ready, why? Why? Have you been lulled into spiritual slumber like these 10 bridesmaids? Or is there something else going on that's causing you not to be ready? I want to submit to you that if you're anything like me, maybe the answer is actually really, really basic. And it's that we actually believe deep down what we're looking at here is all that there is. We've bought into the lie that we've heard every single day of our lives that life is short. You got to live it up. Right? Some of us are going to live 30 years, some 50, some 70, some 80, but all of that is pretty short. And so make the most of it here while you can, because this is all that there is. But the Bible tells us the exact opposite. This is not all that there is. And you're not going to just live for 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years. But you were created for eternity. And Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he is going to make all things new. Some of my favorite parts of the Bible are at the end. I love the book of Revelation. This is how the book of Revelation ends. It's actually the way that I begin almost every single wedding. Revelation 21. If you've been around me very much, you know that this is my favorite passage of the Bible. Revelation 21, John tells us what it's going to be like when Christ returns. Revelation 21, verse 1. This is the call to worship that I uh, read at every single wedding that I perform. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, it will be like a bridegroom coming for his bride. And there will be a wedding feast. The book of Revelation describes as the marriage supper of the Lamb. When Christ comes again, John tells us that every wrong thing is going to be righted. Every sad thing is going to become joyful. There will be no mourning and no crying. Right? Every broken thing is going to be mended. Jesus is going to restore all things. So often when Christians think about the end, when Jesus comes again, they think it's all going to burn. That all of this is just going to be destroyed by fire. And you know what the Bible gives us is this picture of everything being restored. 
So think about just how broken our world is. One day Jesus is going to come again and make it new again. He's going to make it new. And in chapter 22, this is how it ends. 22 verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus gets the final word of the Bible. And his final words are, surely I am coming soon. The early church had a saying, it was Maranatha. In Aramaic, it means come quickly, Lord Jesus. That was their battle cry. Do you want to know why? Because they were ready. They so deeply longed for Jesus to come again that their motto as a church was Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Is that your motto? Do you actually want Jesus to come back? Or do you feel like you still have some things to take care of? Or is your motto, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Because Jesus has promised, surely I'm coming again. May we live our lives in light of that promise. And may that change everything for us. That we, like the wise bridesmaids, would keep oil in our lamps, patiently waiting the day when Christ comes again. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, these things are too high for us. I'm struck this morning just how feeble we are to imagine the return of your son Jesus, which is just so unfathomable to us. And it's almost laughable to explain that reality to us. Jesus told us a parable. And so we feel, we feel so pulled in different directions this morning. Pulled by this world that we live in that tells us that this is all there is. Pulled by these things that make us sleepy. That lull us to sleep like comfort and wealth and our jobs and even our families. Even good things that would cause us not to long for your return. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to keep oil in our lamps, to live a life patiently waiting the day that you return, that the cry of our hearts would be Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray this because we want to long for it. Make us long for your return, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.